Amen. All right. Our first sermon here in the, the book of Jonah is called Intro to Running. Intro to Running. Uh, there are some really creative titles to the book of Jonah. So as I've been studying for the book of Jonah, I've been, you know, looking at a lot of other ones, uh, a lot of other pastors, and, their cre- and I just am blown away by the creativity of some of these guys. My favorite was this one. Um, not snail mail, but whale mail. Yeah, that one was good. I, I really liked that one. I thought that one was pretty good. Whale mail. Uh, I'm going to start by just a quick story. And I probably told a lot of you this story before, but when I was a little kid and I'm talking pretty little, like four or five, and I still remember this conversation. I was, I was sitting in my grandma's living room in the evening. It was dark outside and, uh, I was sitting there on the couch, uh, with my mom and my grandma and my grandma was asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was very young and naive and, uh, but I was very opinionated, and so what I said is that when I grew up, I wanted to be a whale, just a whale. That was that to me was the coolest thing in the world. And I said that because they told me I could be anything I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, they're very they're trying to encourage me. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be a whale. And they just laughed and laughed and laughed at me, and I didn't understand what they were laughing at. I was just like, What's the problem? I want to be a whale. What's, what's the big deal? I think that's a great idea. Be the biggest animal out there. So anyway, that's my little story of how I wanted to be a whale when I was young. Everyone knows a bit about Jonah, okay? I, I know that all of you have read the book. All of you have probably been through church services that taught about Jonah. And I think almost every single one of us, when we were a kid... Uh, we did crafts about Jonah and the whale. Now, I want us to think real quick, though, about the message that we usually heard as we were making those crafts, what, what that was really teaching us about the book of Jonah. You know, as I was coloring my whale, I remember, you know, growing up doing these crafts, and I remember as I was coloring my whale, I was hearing, you know, kind of in my head and in my mind, I better not run away from God or God is going to swallow me with a whale. I remember thinking that. Now, as we study the book of Jonah, that is not the purpose of the whale. It's not the purpose of the book. It's not the lesson that we should uh, be getting from the book of Jonah is that if you run away from God, God is going to hunt you down with a whale and swallow you. You know, while I was cutting out my whale, I was hearing, I better do what's right, or God is going to be angry with me and make me fish food. As I was gluing my little Jonah man onto my whale mouth, I was thinking, did this really happen? As I was drawing a picture of the whale barfing up Jonah, which is definitely my favorite part as a kid, I was saying... I'm never going to run away from God like Jonah did. And finally, while I was, you know, contemplating Jonah sitting under the tree waiting for God to kill all the Ninevites, I was thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? You see, some of the lessons from Jonah 
are kind of harder than uh, than we think as we first look at it. You see, the book of Jonah is a true classic, which means it's uh, it's a book that it only has a little over 40 verses. It has four chapters. That's it. It's very clear. It's really concise, but it is incredibly deep. It, it's true. It really happened. The author writes it as a narrative of things that actually took place. Um, it, and like any classic, it really needs to be read hundreds of times before, so that we could really soak in all of the amazing content that is in the book of Jonah. Because there is some absolutely incredible lessons. Um, there's so many great lessons for our life and our walk with Jesus today. And above all, the most important thing we need to remember as we look at the book of Jonah, as we start studying the book of Jonah, is that you have to read it in light of the gospel of Jesus, because Jonah is really about Jesus. The book of Jonah is really about Jesus. And on almost every page and in almost every verse, we are going to see clear uh, foreshadowing and, and allegories and analogies of, of Jesus. And we're going to see that even today as we get started. And, it, and this book really only makes sense to us when we turn on that spotlight of Jesus or, or when we put on the glasses of the gospel, when we see it, this book through what Jesus has done on the cross, we're going to see that it makes so much more sense to us. It's like Jesus is explaining this book for us. So we're going to read this book and we're going to talk about it and all our teachings are going to be incorporating the book of Jonah, but relating it to Jesus and how uh, how he explains what is really going on. So, you know, by way of introduction, we're going to talk a little bit about when it was written and by whom. And the short answer is, we're not sure when it was written. It was sometime after the 8th century, about the events it describes, and sometime before the 2nd century BC. Um, we know that because it was mentioned by other writings at that time, at least. We're not sure who wrote it, probably Jonah or someone who knew the story and wrote the book to, for God's people to read and to explain and to teach God's people. Um, but we know that it really happened, these events, that uh, Jonah, we know Jonah was a real prophet. He's mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 14. Uh, his, his family, his father is mentioned and everything. He was a prophet in Israel. Everybody knew him. He was, he was a common, you know, name to know. And uh, so all this is true, and it's not really hard to believe. You know, people, skeptics of the Bible are like, that Jonah talks about someone being swallowed by a whale. That's so stupid. You know, you can't believe that. But, you know, people get swallowed by whales and fish all the time uh, and live through it many times and live to tell about it. Uh, there, I'll leave it to you to look that up. Uh, but you know, a quick Google will reveal just multitudes of stories of people being swallowed by whales and living. Uh, just fine. Then there's some interesting side effects that we'll talk about uh, after you're digested by a whale for a few uh, hours or days. Uh, you change your appearance a little bit. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. Uh, but the biggest question we're going to ask today is why was Jonah written? Why was this book written for us? Why do we read it today? Why is it still just as important today as it was, uh, you know, 3,000 years ago when it happened and when it was written? Well, this book is written, the audience, the intended audience, is for God's people of every age. 
So back in Jonah's day, it was intended for the Jews who were God's people during that time of the earth's history. And that was before Christ. But after Christ, all the believers in Jesus, um, it's, it's written and intended to be for us as well. It, and it has a purpose of helping us get to know God better and actually helping us to walk with him in a, in a trusting relationship. Okay, so that's the intention. We're going to see that there's, it, it describes how to run away from God and why people run away from God in different ways that we run away from God. But the intention is so that we won't run away from the Lord. And it deals with many other vital issues for, uh, that, are, that are vital for pretty much every single believer. So, so dig in. We're going we're gonna to look at these things. It's going to be really cool. It's going to uh, deal with what God thinks about bad people and what God thinks about good people. Uh, and when I say bad people, I want you to think terrorists. What God thinks about terrorists. We're going to uh, dig deep into that one, even a little bit today. So how was this book written? How, how was it set up? It's really easy. It's pretty fun to actually talk about. So it, it's got four chapters, like I said. It's real short. And the four chapters talk about two events. And these two events we can just call two ways that we can run from God, two ways that Jonah runs from God, two different ways that people in general can run from God. So in chapters one and two, Jonah fails to obey and runs away. And in chapter three and four, Jonah obeys, but not really. He's still running from God, even though it seems or looks on the out, outward, uh, outwardly like he has obeyed. Other people can outline each of the four chapters like this. You have Jonah planning in chapter one, Jonah praying in chapter two, Jonah preaching in chapter three, and Jonah pouting in chapter four. Or uh, other, another clever outline I saw, chapter one could be, I won't go. Chapter two, okay, I'll go. Chapter three, here I am. Chapter four, I knew I shouldn't have come. I like those too. Those are pretty good. But the one we're going to stick with mainly as we journey through this book is that first one I talked about where it's the two uh, divisions of the first and second chapter, two ways to run from God. The first and second chapter, Jonah failing to obey, and three and four, Jonah obeying, but religiously or, or uh, not really obeying. And the reason why we're going to use that outline is because it it follows with, it, it uh, matches up perfectly with the New Testament counterpart to the book of Jonah. And that is in Luke chapter 15. And it's a story that we're very familiar with, but it's the story of the prodigal son. Okay, in that story, I'll just briefly summarize it for you. A man has some uh, two sons and, and uh, one of the sons says, I hate you, I, want, I wish you would die, and, and I want you to give me my inheritance right now. I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going away. And the father gives him his inheritance. He goes away. He wastes all of his money and uh, runs away from the father. Um, realizes what he's done. And then, you know, at, after he's poor and, and, and miserable, he comes back to his father. His father restores him, hugs him, forgives him. And he's back and they throw a party. So the second half of the story is that at this party, the older brother who didn't leave but was out working in the field, he comes back and he gets angry at his father for accepting and receiving his prodigal son back. 
and that older brother is very very angry and it concludes with him refusing to go in to have fellowship and celebrate with his father or his brother and uh, and the father asking him why he's being so stubborn basically now that is basically the story of Jonah just told with different characters uh, Jonah in our story is going to be both of those char- both of those brothers first two chapters he's going to be the younger brother running away from the Lord and in the second division of the book of Jonah he is the elder brother he is the brother that is now uh, religious and legalistic and angry and bitter so we're going to be talking about uh, those things um okay so those that parallel between luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son is really gonna blow your mind so the last little intro thing we're going to talk about is what who sorry does jonah represent and i've kind of already alluded to it a little bit but he represents god's people okay Back in his day, he represented the whole nation of Israel and how they thought and how they acted. And today he would represent a large portion of the church and how we think and how we act. You see, Jonah was a typical Jew and he acted like most, if not all, of his Jewish brothers. He was not evil. He was not extreme. He was a normal, regular, patriotic guy. And that's why this is such a practical book for our day and age, uh, because just by being normal, you know, we and Jonah run smack into God's sovereignty, God's mercy and God's rule that, that they just don't go with how we normally act and think. And it confronts us and it smacks us in the face and it's not comfortable and that is why the book of Jonah is so amazing, because it, it forces us to have to wrestle with God and some of his opinions, some of his actions that do not line up with what we learn in school, that do not line up with what we're told at political rallies and told how we're supposed to think uh, when, when it comes to the areas of politics, which we're going to talk a little bit about. So Jonah, he's, he struggles, and, and the struggles that he has, they're shared with many, if not all of us, who follow Christ. You know, we have to decide how we're going to think about the enemies of our nation, how we're going to think about our enemies, how to think about people who hate us and want to destroy us. What, how do we think about national defense? How do we think about uh, missions? A lot of things that have a huge impact in our life. So for us, I think you can think about Jonah as a picture or story of you a lot of times. We are runners. We are runners. We like to run from God. Maybe we don't like to, but we do a lot of times choose to run from God. We don't even know that we're doing it a lot of times, but we are. So with that being just our a little introduction. Let's read the first three verses of the book, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose 
to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, so Jonah, we're introduced to him right off the bat. The author of this book doesn't give us any introduction other than his name, and he assumes that all of us know who this guy is. He was a prophet, which means he had a relationship with God, not unlike you and me. He was called a believer. He was called a child of God. But we're going to see that does not mean that he's perfect or that he really even understands his father if he's a child of God. But God does love him, and he is a child of God. And God wants to use Jonah and partner with Jonah, and he has chosen Jonah to do something, to bring grace to an evil, wicked nation. And this is just like how God has chosen you and wants to use you, and he's asking you to get on board with his plans. You ever wonder that why God has never asked you about your plans? There's never a part in the Bible that's a fill-in-the-blank of what you would like to do when you grow up. That's because our life has been called into service of our God. Just like a draft. You know, when people get drafted in the military, they didn't have a choice. Well, our God works a little similarly. He has called us. We have been called. Our number has been called like a draft, except we have this interesting choice that we can choose to disobey and we can choose to run like they did. The draft Dodgers did back in the day when there was a draft. When they didn't agree with the mission, they would run away and they would live their lives and they would run from the consequences of their choices. We don't choose to get on board with God's mission all the time because we doubt that God really has our best interests in mind. We disagree with him. Does God really know what's best for me? We doubt that a lot of times. Or we can't understand his plans and they don't see his plans and they don't seem to make sense to us. And so there's just confusion when it comes to his mission. He tells Jonah, this is the mission. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of a nation called Assyria. And uh, some background information will really help you to understand why this is totally freaking out Jonah. I mean, blowing his mind and absolutely a, a terrible idea in his mind. You see, Assyria was known for their savagery and wickedness. Assyria is where we have present-day Iraq, okay? And Nineveh is where present-day Mosul is in the nation of Iraq. And so Assyria at this time was rising in power and had already beaten Israel in a war a couple 
generations earlier, a couple kings earlier, I think it was about 50 to 20, 25 to 50 years before this event, they had already beaten Israel in a war and, and made Israel pay them a bunch of money. And Assyria was in this great expansion uh, phase of their kingdom. So their kings were all about conquering other nations. And what they would do to other nations is horrific, okay? They would decapitate most people, and they would skin them alive. And, and some of these things are real brutal, so I'm going to skip over a lot of the details. But one of the things is they would uh, cut off both legs and an arm and, and leave one arm so that they could shake the person's hand while they died. Uh, and these, are, these were common practices. And so these people, this nation of Israel, was a terrorist state. It was a terrorist nation. They wanted nothing but to kill, murder, and destroy all the nations around them, including Israel, including God's own people. And so when Jonah, or any Jewish person, any Israelite, heard the name of Assyria or heard the, about the city of Nineveh, they would just be like, oh, I hate those people. Oh, those people are so wicked. Those people are so evil. And here's the thing. God had already sent a couple of prophets. And those prophets, we have their prophets. They're, they're in the, the minor prophets as well. He had already declared that he was going to destroy Assyria. He was going to judge Assyria for their sinfulness and for their savagery and for their violence and for what they were doing to Israel. And so the people of, of God really disliked these horrible, violent, mean uh, people. Um, these, if you want to look up the historical records of Assyria, there's been all these uh, reliefs and all these uh, things that archaeologists have discovered that show the um, incredible savagery of this um, uh, terrorist people, okay? So Jonah was fine with the idea of God judging Assyria. He wanted that to happen. He hated them, he despised them, and thought they should all die. Jonah was like this because he was very patriotic. He loved his country. His country was his family. He loved his family. And he says, anyone who is not on my team is bad. Anyone who wants to harm my family is bad, and I am not going to stand for anyone like that. I'm not going to let it happen. Look at what they do. Look at what they say. Death to Israel. Death. That's my family. Death to us. Are you kidding me? No. They don't deserve my love, they don't deserve my mercy, and they don't deserve my God's love or mercy either. And look what in our text it says that God saw all their wickedness. God saw it. Nothing, God isn't tricked. They haven't tricked God into being friends with them. He says that, that for their wickedness has come up before me. And, and God always sees the wickedness. He sees us, even when we try to hide it. He sees the, our thoughts. He sees the, the inclinations of our heart. He sees it all. Nothing is ever hidden from God. 
But Jonah is assuming that God would like to kill them. That that's his response to wickedness. That God would never give a nation like this, a terrorist group like this, a second chance. But the fact that God wants Jonah to go and preach to them is proof that God is willing to give them a second chance. To preach to them means that they can respond. That's why God wants Jonah to go. It is giving them hope, and they don't deserve that. So if we really dig down into this, this is, this is asking and answering some really deep questions that we even have to wrestle with today. God wants Jonah to go and preach to people because they are wicked. God is motivated by their wickedness to show them love, to give them grace and mercy. Now, when you do something wicked, what do you think God thinks of you? Do you think he despises you? Do you think he hates you? The truth is, God loves you. He knows all about your wickedness, but it only motivates him even more to hunt you down with his love, to bring a message of his mercy to you. He does not want anyone to continue living in their sin, or to die in their sin. He just wants to show mercy and grace because he is so full of love for every human being on this planet. That is who God is, and that smacks us in the face because we don't feel that way. Jonah doesn't feel that way. And you know what? Jonah is shining a light on me because I don't feel that way either. I don't feel like a person who is horribly wicked deserves mercy and grace. And it doesn't motivate me to go after them with mercy and grace. But it does with God. And God calls Jonah to partner with him. God is asking Jonah, listen to this. Listen very carefully. God is asking Jonah to betray his national interests. God is asking Jonah to betray his family interests. What's best for his nation and what's best for his family, God says, I don't care. God is asking Jonah to betray every single one of his friends. You see, Jonah isn't the only one who would think this would be crazy. Every single one of his friends would as well. They probably helped him pay his fare to get on the boat. Every single one of his friends would disagree with a mission to bring mercy to the evil people who were murdering and slaughtering everywhere that they went. Raiding parties, raping and murdering and pillaging all the time. No one's on board for that. Everyone Jonah cares about, everyone Jonah loves is going to possibly be hurt if Jonah obeys God and goes on this mission. In fact, Jonah himself is probably going to die if he goes on this mission. 
So Jonah goes the opposite way. Nineveh was this way. Jonah goes this way. He boards a ship to Tarshish, which is probably Spain-type area. So he's going all the way to basically the other side of the world for them. And he's getting on a boat to get there as fast as he can. So this mission makes no practical sense and it makes no theological sense for Jonah. First, it makes no practical sense. Jonah, or excuse me, Nineveh, should be destroyed. And I want to be as far away from it as possible when it happens. I watched a great movie last night with uh, my boys and my wife called Greenland. It was a, a new movie with Gerard Butler running from a um, comet that's coming to destroy the world and uh, trying to be as far away from it as possible. It made me think of Jonah. Jonah thought God is sending a comet or something to destroy Nineveh. And I don't want to be there when it happens. And... Um, I want you to think about this. This would be like if if God asked you to go to Berlin in 1941 and just stand on the street and preach to all the people in Germany in 1941. But probably way more extreme in Nineveh's case because they had no problem just murdering and killing anybody. So it makes no practical sense to Jonah. They're going to die anyway. I don't want to die. Why should I die? God... This doesn't make any sense. Second thing is it doesn't make any theological sense to Jonah. You see, God is good. God is righteous. God is wonderful. God is good. And these people are bad. Good and bad don't go together. So I'm not going to go there to offer them God's goodness when they're bad. They don't want it. They need to pay for what they've done. They don't deserve it. So Jonah has this hyperactive view of righteousness. He believes that God is so good that he cannot look upon anything that is evil, which is true in some sense, but it's missing out on the huge part of God's heart that loves people. Every single one of us. He is so full of love. And yes, he is just, but he is also loving. And these two things smack us in the face. They they don't make sense to the natural heart. These guys don't get a second chance as Jonah's theology. That's Jonah's theology. Bad people don't deserve a second chance. So Jonah runs, he runs the opposite way. And that's the, this is a big theme of the book, running from God. This is a big theme of our study today, running from God. If I can't control God, then I need to get away from him. I'm going to say that again. If I can't control God, then I need to get away from him. I'm going to say it a third time, because maybe it'll stick then. If I can't control God, then I need to get away from him. Every single one of us has to face this this idea, this question, this temptation. If we can't control God, what do we do? We have to run away from him. The only other option is total, complete surrender, which we're going to get to in a minute. We do this type of running all the time. 
We don't like God's commands. Jonah has a problem with the mission, but his problem with the mission is really reveals he has a bigger problem with the God who's giving the mission. We don't, we don't like his missions, but a lot of times it's that we really don't, we really have a problem with God. We really don't like what he's all about. We get missions and we don't like them. What are you talking about? I've never gotten a mission from God. Oh, really? I think actually you have. How about relationships? You have a mission in your relationships. In your marriage, you have a mission. Husbands are to love their wives, to provide security for them, to love them unconditionally, unwaveringly. Wives are to lovingly honor and submit to their husbands. These are the missions God has given. These are missions, and we don't like them. Well, they're not doing their mission, so I'm not going to do my mission. That's what, how it usually goes. We don't like these missions, so we run. Instead of surrendering to God and saying, Okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey you and go on this mission and do what you say. Instead of that, we run from him because we can't control the mission, the relationships that God's put us. So we get divorced. So we treat each other poorly. Relationships is those missions. Here's another mission that sometimes you get called on. How about the mission of sickness? That's not a mission that we like very often either. Pain, chronic conditions can be a mission from the Lord. I want you to, I I need you to endure this. I need you to go through this and trust me and pray and call upon me. Watch me. Keep your eyes focused on me. Receive from me your help. This is a mission from the Lord. We don't like that mission, so a lot of times we try to get out of it or at least complain about it a lot. Sometimes our mission can be our job. And sometimes we don't like that mission either. We struggle to believe that God knows what is best for us. We struggle to believe it and we struggle to surrender to God in all our missions. In all that God has called us to do and to be. Because if we can't control God... We have to run away from him. If I can't control the missions, then I got got to run away. Because we know he's not going to change. We know he's not changing the mission. So we run away. We choose to get out of it. We choose to deaden the pain. We choose to, to quit the job. We choose to quit the relationships. Instead of completely surrendering to God and to see what he would do, what his best plan for us would be. Not me. I don't run from God. Not me. You got to be crazy, pastor. Not me. I don't run from the Lord. Oh, really? Well, there are two ways to run from the Lord. You see, Paul, when he's writing the book of Romans, he, he helps us to understand what these two ways 
are. He In chapter 1, he gives us the first way. In chapter 2, he gives us the second way. In chapter 1, he says that the first way of running away from God is to just reject God altogether and his rule. And, and, and he describes it in Romans 1, 28, when he says this, And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a de debased mind to do things which are not fitting. To be filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliceness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God and that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. And this this describes a large portion of our culture and most cultures in the world. We all know just the evil people in the world. Those guys that just want nothing but to hook up and do drugs and hurt people. We know those type of people. They're all out there. And we are, can easily put those people in a box and call them the bad people. We even have whole countries that we assign to that box called the bad countries. Just generalizing all of the people as being this type of bad people. But then, okay, so, so we can see that those people are running from God, right? It's easy, you know, they're totally wicked and they're, they're doing everything that they can that's wrong. They know what's wrong. It's just they're not even trying to be good, right? They're just bad. But then there's a second way that we can run from God, and this is by becoming more religious. Becoming more religious. And Paul talks about this in chapter 2 of Romans. In chapter 2, verse 17 through 19, and verse 23, I'll read them to you. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. So you see his audience there? These people love the law. They, they're making their boast in God and know his will. I know what God wants of me and of you and of my country and everything. I know what's right. And approve of the things that are excellent to being instructed out of the law. So that's who Paul's dealing with now. And what does he say? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? He goes on to explain that no matter how religious you are you are still a lawbreaker because if you've ever broken one of god's law you are a lawbreaker and so you're in the same boat as the sinner you're in the same boat as the person who doesn't care at all you have still fallen short of god's glory god's standard but we don't think that way see the second way of running from god is which is much more common with the people that i know which is we think that we are better than others. We think we don't need God's mercy. But we're still not going on his missions. We're still not showing the kindness and love that God has for people, for sinners, for our spouse, for our job, for our, our own lives. We're not showing that. We're still rebelling against him. But we know what's right. And we're not doing those, those evil, wicked things as the other people, but we have this self-righteous attitude that God says, that Paul says here, is just as bad. 
He says these people who know the law and have the law and know what's right, they need they are just as much in need of saving as those who straight up decide to sin as much as they want. They both need just as much saving. There's really no betterness between one and the other. There's really no difference between the two types of runners. They both reject God. They both keep God out at arm's length and do not draw near to him. One of them runs away, just sinning as much as they want. The other one becomes more religious and says, I'm better than you. Both of them rejecting God's love, rejecting God's plan, rejecting God's mission. And so Paul concludes in chapter 3 of Romans, verses 9 and 10. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. Religious people are not better than outright sinners. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks are that they are all under sin. And it, as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Just because you call yourself a Christian or go to church doesn't mean that you are obeying God. At all. And yet, there's so much of this out there. Oh, he's a good person. He goes to church every week. So? Oh, he's a good person. He calls himself a Christian and goes, you know, and talks about God all the time. So? Where's the love? Where's the love? Is he humble? Are they faithful? Is there trust in the Lord? We're going to talk about that. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean you are right with God. You can run from God by doing whatever you want or by doing what you think is right instead of just simply obeying God. Two different ways. I'm going to do whatever I want or I'm going to do what I think is right. Either way, I'm going to avoid the missions that he has given me. This is the big question that, that this is digging down into our hearts right now. If you're still with me, hang on. This is the big question. Who knows what really is best for my life? Me or God? Who really knows what's best for me? Do I or does God? Our default answer to that question is that we think we know what's best for us. It's my life, after all. But God says, mm, there's a lot wrong with that statement. A, it's my life. I created you. I made you. I'm God. I get to decide and call you into whatever life I choose. It's my life. B, if you said you wanted to be my follower, you gave your life to me again. So not only is it mine by rights, it was mine by a commitment. You, you, you made a covenant commitment with me that you would give me your life. Do we believe God is committed to our good? What about when my good is bad for someone else? How does that work? Who really knows what's best? Why would God let me get sick or get fired or marry a difficult person? 
Does God know what he is doing? All these things are coming up just from the first three verses of the book of Jonah. You see, Jonah, like us, really, really doubts and is wrestling with God, that God is concerned for him and, and concerned about his family. And so Jonah, he, he says, the evidence shows, God, that you're not concerned about me, so I'm out of here. i got to run away. If you were concerned about me, you would not send me to Assyria, because Assyria is horrible, and I'm not going to go. They don't deserve it. I, I, I would die for you, but I'm not going to die for you. Of course, he's being hypocritical. But when we really think about it, this is the only way that Jonah can control the situation. You see, if he stays there, he's not going to be able to he, he's not going to be able to get away from the call. He's going to keep hearing God's voice. Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. Go preach to them. Jonah, go. And see, there's a part, I believe, in Jonah's heart that he, he's starting to sense and hear God's heart for these people. And he hates it. He does not want to be a part of it. We're going to see that that's very true. So his only way to get away from this, see, Jonah's getting close to the Lord. His intimacy with the Lord is, is he's getting one heart with the Lord. And, and that means that he's starting to love the Ninevites. But he can't do that. Because they are wicked and evil. And so he pushes away from the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord is dangerous. And we fear it. Because then we start to love our enemies. And we start to forgive those who don't deserve it. Because that's what God's heart is. And as we get this intimacy with the Lord, we get confronted with some major problems. Your friends aren't going to be happy with you. Your family is not going to be happy with you. And your nation is not going to be happy with you. So Jonah does kind of a practical thing. He says, fine, I'm just going to run away. I'm going to run away from my family and nation and try to run away from the Lord. I'm either going to run away by just sinning as much as I want or I'm going to run away by being more religious. doesn't matter to me because both keep me away from God. Both keep, both keep me from having to love wicked people. I don't want to do that. Sinning casts me away. I get that. And religion blinds me to my sin. Both are terrible to get lost in. You see, when we run away from the Lord, we always get lost. When you're out going for a run, it really stinks to get lost. But it's interesting. We can get lost in both of these ways. Do you know anyone who gets lost in sinning? Who is lost in sinning right now? Anyone who is living their life openly rebelling against God, doing whatever they want to do, trying to sin as much as they want. Just, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah, we probably know some of those people. Do you know anyone that is lost in religion? Living with lots of laws, totally blind to their own brokenness and unholiness, and totally not loving, but they're very, very religious. You know anyone like that? I do. I know lots of people like that. 
The Assyrians, they're just running from God. They don't care. They're living their lives of evil, murder, and sin. They're, they're actually trying to control God, too, by just ignoring him. Jonah, he's running from God a different way. He's refusing to obey because of his strict religious and moral views. He's controlling God by a self-righteous attitude and superiority. I cannot love these people, he says. Isn't that funny? God can't show mercy to bad people running from God. So I'm going to run from God. That's what Jonah's doing. He's rebelling against God's will, which is the definition of being bad. So Jonah says, I'm going to be bad because I don't want the bad people to know about God's goodness. If he wants to show mercy to those people, I'm going to run away and I'm going to be bad. Why, Jonah? Why would you want to be bad? Why would you want to run away? For Jonah to obey God, he would have to consider his life forfeit. He would have to consider his own life forfeit. He would probably be going to get killed in Nineveh, like we said. He's, he would have to be totally surrendered to God's will above all else. He would have to be filled with God's will in his heart, completely surrendered, not having no will or of his own, no plans of his own life. He can't make his decisions based on his will or his emotions. He can't make decisions based on what he feels to be right or safe. No, for Jonah to obey at this point, he would need to totally surrender. And that's the key lesson. If you want to avoid running from God, either totally in sin or by religion, then the only way is surrender. Full, complete surrender. That is the way. The single way. The narrow path to life. Surrender. When we hear a command of God, we will show what is in our heart. Will we be able... Sorry, we will be able to see if we are surrendered or not when we hear a command of the Lord. Jonah, he got up to flee. He, he could have got up to obey. I'm going to rise up and do what God told me to do, but no. In fact, the Hebrew language, the way it's written there, is, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a trick. It gets up, and you think the way that it's going is he rose up to obey, but instead he rose up, and then it changes the word to flee. And it's, it's almost funny when you're reading it, how much of a contrast it is. The decision to flee came from the heart of Jonah, and it came out of, uh, by his actions. The heart is the problem. What do we do when God commands us to be a messenger of his love and his grace to this world? To terrorists. To our spouse. To our children. God has commanded you to be a messenger of love and grace and mercy to every single person in this world. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what they're into, doesn't matter if they're gay, straight, or anything else. Tell them about God's love and mercy. Tell them 
how much he loves them. Show them how much he loves them. Even your wife, even your husband, even your family, even your kids. Even though you can get hurt, even though you will be hurt, that is the mission. What are we going to do? Are we running like Jonah? Do we really think, I'm never going to tell anybody about Jesus? I'm never going to tell them about Jesus, that's for sure. Well, the truth is that, you know, none of us are perfectly surrendered. And we still have roots of rebellion and self-life lingering in our hearts till the day that we die. The God will completely deliver us and we can walk in victory, in the full victory, even now. Um, but that root of flesh is still there until we die and appear before him in heaven. It's still there. But there is one, and this is our last thing we're going to say. There is one person who did completely surrender. There's one person who lived his life and never rebelled. He never held back from doing what God wanted him to do. He never distrusted his father. Jesus is that perfect surrendered servant. He's the perfect surrendered man. He did everything that God asked him to do. He came and brought a message of God's love and God's mercy to every sinner. Both those who knew him and those who didn't, both to Jews and to Gentiles. He brought this message with love to provide and to provide the power behind the message. He gave his life as a sacrifice. He considered his own life to be the price of obeying his father. He willingly went to the Nineveh of his world and gave his life proclaiming God's mercy and love. Jesus is the greater than Jonah, the completion of Jonah. Jesus is the one Jonah points to. Jonah is just a shadow and Jesus is the real thing. Jesus never ran. Jesus never ran. He simply knelt and obeyed. So what are we going to do today if we are filled with his spirit? You got a choice. Ask him to be filled with his spirit and then when you hear his command, obey. Just as Jesus had humility and faith, that's how we can walk by his spirit, receive his spirit with humility and faith and he will do um, he will call us to serve him to go and do things and they may be difficult but you got to decide are you going to run or are we going to obey jesus always obeys it's so great we have a savior who obeyed his love for us is so amazing well guys that's our time in the word today you're loved and uh stick around uh, in the lobby if you want or 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 uh get get to get to contact us this week somehow if you want you can uh text me call me i'm available to serve you guys this week i'd love to get together with anyone who wants to on zoom or whatever uh we love you and i hope um, your week is blessed this week